You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Good morning. Welcome to Thrive. It's good to have you here today as we continue our series called Fathom, where we're walking through the book of Ephesians one chapter a week, trying to fathom, trying as best as we can to grasp the height and depth and breadth and width of the love of God in Christ, his plans for us, his great grace. It's an amazing book that just kind of blows out all categories of what you might think of. And today we are in chapter four, where we see God's cosmic plan is not something that just up in the clouds, but it comes to down to the earth, very graphic, tangible fellowship in the Christian church. And we are excited about that because Paul says it's not simply that you would know personally in yourself the love of God in Jesus Christ, but that you will experience that love as we grow together in unity, as we grow together in service to one another, using the gifts that God has for us in the body of Christ. So let's read now um, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. By grace, was, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Quite the section. And we have... um, How do you summarize? The best way, I think, to summarize something like this might be in a, um, and the focus of our message today might be in these two sentences. Well, I guess it's one that I kind of created a run-on sentence. And it's this. We have been incorporated into the very life of God, the fellowship of the Trinity, but we are spiritually immature until we serve together in loving unity as members of the body of Christ. And so we're going to look at those, uh, break this down into three points. The idea of the life of the Trinity, the goal of maturity, and the reason for community. Okay? So first of all, the life of the Trinity. Paul speaks in this, in this passage, just like he does the rest of the book, just in such expansive terms. It's, it's rather amazing. He, he just goes for it. And it is just cosmically huge and big and broad and high. 
And you might be surprised that the Ephesian church that he is speaking this to, and he talks about the Christian church, is about the size of our fellowship right here. It was no bigger than this. I don't think you realize that all the letters in the New Testament were written to churches that were pretty puny. You know, in fact, some of them were smaller than this. And <laughs> yeah, well, that's kind of the point. It's not really about the size and scope of what we see, but it's really the size and scope of what God has plans for, right? So what we see is puny or weak. What God sees is powerful and amazing and strong. Amen? All right. And that's what we are finding is that God says that we aren't just any organization. It's not that we together, the sum of our little parts and our little pieces, put together what's called a church. It's the fact that God has invested himself, himself, into this fellowship, into the Christian church. The Ephesian church had faced struggles, like with the temple of Artemis, and you can read this in the book of Acts. And they lived under the shadow of the power and wealth of other people and not their own. They faced persecution and opposition. They were wondering what resources they had, and yet God says, I have given to you what no other human organization has, the life of the triune God in our lives itself. Notice, that's what he says at the beginning of this passage. He says that, it, that we have one God and Father of us all, that we are called by one spirit, one baptism, and that there is one Lord, Christ Jesus, who himself then equips and gifts the church by his spirit with gifts. And the gifts are people. They're not things. It's not stuff. The biblical God, as we find out throughout the New Testament, is a community of three persons in such unity that they are serving and giving and extolling and uplifting and glorifying each other. And God is welcoming us into that very life. So we're not just a volunteer organization or a nonprofit. We're like no other corporation on earth. Nothing compares to what happens here, no matter the size, because it's not about the size of the fellowship, but the scope of God's plans and promises. So Miroslav Wolf, in one of his books, puts it this way, God came into the world so as to make human beings created in the image of God live with one another and with God in the kind of communion in which divine persons live with one another. In other words, he welcomes us into the fellowship of the Trinity, so when you say, you know, why even have church, you know? And this year, a lot of people have kind of opted out of, quote, church in one form or another. They aren't even, you know, for a while we were watching online, and then it's like, yeah, well, you know, why bother? I've got my own little spirituality myself. Paul knows <laughs> that every church that he founded was founded by a sinful person, Paul. And it collected a bunch of sinful, broken people together. But... The church is not the sum of us. Paul knew that too. The church is God's triune life. We aren't just getting together to be do-gooders, to do good things. The gospel doesn't mean that, you try, that we're just telling you to be nice people. The gospel is that you are new people. You have been given a new life, the life of God within you, 
the life of God dwelling within us together, and together we manifest and display God's glory. So Jesus, as our head, directs the whole body to do what Jesus would be doing in this world if he were physically, bodily present, because in a sense, not in a sense, Really, he is. He is physically, bodily present in this world through you and me and the fellowship that we have with each other. And what you do then is what Jesus is doing in this world. We are his hands, his feet. We are his voice. We are the ones who speak his word, his love, his mercy, his grace, his truth into this world. So the first point is that the church is not just anything, any other organization. It is the life of God lived out among the community that we have here in even this fellowship and every other Christian fellowship. But the goal isn't just to kind of hang out, although, man, I miss our hangouts. I miss our times being together. The goal is actually maturity. That's our second point, maturity. Why do we need the church? Paul says because we're immature, spiritual babies in one sense. And without each other, we're going to remain immature. This is how he puts it in Ephesians 4.13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the goal is your maturity. Christianity um, isn't here just to give you um, a few goosebumps here and there once in a while or some comfort or to wow you. It isn't here um, so that you uh, just kind of can do whatever you want and, and enjoy and have a feel-good plug-in point once a week. You know, I know there are quite a few churches, I, I'm sorry to say, that I think are almost infantilizing their members. That is, that they want to make everything so comfortable and wonderful for them that they just keep coming back Sunday after Sunday, and they keep being fed kind of baby food, which is good when you're a baby. Have you had any baby food lately? Maybe the Hennahans have tried Johnny's baby food. I don't know. Um, boy, not, not, not. That's one of those fun, weird games that you play at a um, baby shower, right? Everybody tries to eat baby food and figure out what it's supposed to even taste like. Um, but churches that just kind of keep, um, keep infantilizing their members and so that people are taken care of and trained them to be taken care of. Um, much like, I don't know if you all have seen that movie, WALL-E, the Pixar picture, where human beings are basically taken care of and they're laying on these kind of floating raft techno things with a screen always in front of them and a drink or anything they want by their side. That's not the picture that God has for you. He wants you to grow up, for us to grow up, to mature into the full stature of Jesus Christ himself. That's what this text says. Okay? Well, you might say, well, what's wrong about being immature? It's kind of fun. I know, that's a choice a lot of people are making. And uh, they kind of want to do their own thing, kind of do it when they want, feel good, they do things. Then if they don't feel good, they don't do things, and all that type of stuff. But 
The problem with immaturity, according to this passage, is at least threefold. Immature people means that you're easily distracted, easily swayed, easily lost, easily persuaded. You'll fall for almost anything that sounds good. And that's what happens to a lot of Christians right now, I think, in the United States. We are easily swayed into thinking, oh, that sounds, oh, that's cool. Ooh, how about that? How about this? And from fear-mongering to false promises to prosperity to flashy displays of spirituality by somebody on stage, and everybody thinks that must be real. Staying immature means that you're easily swayed, and what you need is what I need. We all need other people to help us discern, to grow into being astute and knowing what is true and what is right and what is proper, what is scriptural, what is gospel-centered, what fits in with the life of Jesus Christ so that we are not fooled. Do you know another um, attribute of babies? I should have asked the Hennahans about uh, Johnny. I mean, he's the, the cutest kid, but he has these attributes yet probably, right? He's easily kind of swayed or maybe not as easy anymore. Maybe you want to be able to swim and he's ready to say no. Yeah. But this brings up the second point, I think. Um, children are very self-centered toddlers. Have you, you didn't have to teach them that, did you? No. You have to teach children some point in time to share, to not just think of me. Toddlers are into me and mine. Likewise, spiritual babies within Christianity are into what's in it for me. That becomes kind of the mantra, whether it's said or not. What do you have for me, for my family? What's going to work at your church? Uh, we do want to serve people in their needs. But if all we do is serve their felt needs, you know what we do? We aren't serving them. We, to serve in a Christian church is to get people to serve. To truly serve people is to have them also grow, to mature. To not just have a church of me and what I want. Now you might not here at uh, Thrive right now in our size find that We've got everything that you'd ever want in a church. We're not a full-service, you know, program church with 25 different options for every age group and every demographic. I don't think we're ever going to become that. That's not what we're really going to be focusing on, because I don't think the New Testament does. And I don't think Paul is telling the, the Ephesians to do that. Maturity, though, what happens is it comes when you grow in unity with those whom God has gathered together regardless of age, occupation, viewpoint, culture, life experience. In fact, I grow best when I'm surrounded by people who are much different than me. I do not need another me around me. And neither do you. Right? When you married... Uh, when the Simons married, you didn't marry a duplicate of yourself, did you? Thank God. You've matured together, right? Yes. So we're all self-centered as well, unless we grow together and mature. I mean, think about it this way. You want friends, right? And the friends that you appreciate the most are the ones that are not so focused on themselves. In fact, I don't know if I can be a friend of somebody who's always just bragging about how great they are who are talking about all the problems that they're having and how difficult it is to be 
uh, going through these things, and who just um, also just keeps the conversation orbiting around them. You want someone who is able to focus on both of you on something other than themselves and to have a centered outside of themselves. That's what we're talking about, about maturity. And a third um, aspect of a toddlerhood is that they're a bit unstable. Immaturity, people are unstable. Um, I don't know for Johnny, I think uh, he's still kind of a little weak on his legs once in a while, right? You could push a kid over pretty easily. I'm not saying push a kid over. I'm just saying <laughs> you can push a kid over pretty easily, right? Yeah. The immature are those who, you know, just a little opposition, just a little difficulty, just a little uh, obstacle in the way, and all of a sudden they're a pushover. They fall. They're unstable. It's so easy for Christians. When you're on your own, when you've been immature and you haven't really grown up, when you don't have the strength of the body of Christ around you, to face a difficulty or problem in life and all of a sudden give up. Oh, it's so hard. In the parable that Jesus tells about planting seed on the soil, he talks about four different kinds of soil, and the one falls on soil that is just about this deep with rock underneath it, and it says, when the persecutions and struggles of life come, that faith withers away. That's what happens when you're left on your own. We're unstable. You know, this past year with COVID-19, it's been a tough one. It's been a tough one for our fellowship. Um, in some ways, I think, though, it's been a good one. And you might not think that at first, but, you know, because it's not as rewarding to come to worship right now when we can't give each other hugs. We don't have, where's the food, man? I remember, you remember all that wonder, coffee, man, all that stuff out there, and it's just the fellowship. And then afterwards, the, um, the different events and, and all the fun and excitement, and then just the, the thrill of everybody being able to be close together and connected. It's kind of been, but do you think maybe God has been maturing us individually and corporately? that it's not really about how great I'm feeling about it, but the fact that God is still worth worshiping and praising him, and the fact that you matter, whether I have to just get together with you on Zoom or, um, and uh, I'm not quite getting as much out of it. Maybe God is maturing us to focus on his will and his purposes rather than my comfort level. So the goal is maturity. Now, how do you get there? And that's through community. So the whole reason for community. Paul says you can only come mature, become mature through the fellowship with other people. You will never grow mature on your own. You know, Paul himself, I think he's a good example. I know when I used to read the New Testament, I read the letters of uh, and the book of Acts, I'd think Paul is kind of on his own, kind of the entrepreneur, the pioneer who'd go out and do anything, and maybe one or two people would come along. That view has changed as I've researched what actually Paul's methodology was. And if you look in the book of Acts itself, he never went anywhere alone except the one time, and even then, somebody was observing him there, and that is to Athens. 
Everywhere he went, he at least had one partner, and Rodney Stark, in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, states with his research that most likely Paul didn't just have one person, but he had a group of up to 30 people with him wherever he went, that he had a Christian fellowship when he went to Philippi, when he went to Corinth, when he went to Ephesus. He had a group to both celebrate worship, to be community together, and to show the world what the unity of the Spirit could bring about. And the implication is, if Paul considered it vital to be in such a fellowship himself, <laughs> I'm such a baby myself, I have to be in fellowship. There is no growth in spiritual maturity without being in community. He said in this text, until we, not until I, until we reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature. And in the Greek, that mature faith, he says it's one man, that we become one human being. It actually says one man, or one, and who is that one? Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ himself. The character of Jesus needs to be seen in our fellowship, in our relationships, and we become in that kind of unity. Um, one thing that I find remarkable about Jesus and his life, if you read through the gospel, sometimes we don't see it at first. But what you will notice is that Jesus was not really about himself. I know he said things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the bread of life. And he did speak about himself, but he always had his focus on his father, and he was always ministering in the spirit. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says, when he went to his hometown of Nazareth. The spirit of the wisdom and insight from the book of Isaiah. And even before that, one of the only uh, childhood events that we have recorded in the Gospels is when he went to Jerusalem with his parents. And Mary and Joseph lost the kid. <laughs> Can you imagine? Not at the mall, but in Jerusalem, in a city. And they were frantic. They didn't even realize they had lost him until two days later. And they come back into the city to try to find out where he is. And when they find him, he's at the temple. And he looks at them and says, duh. You know, well, it's not the translation. Maybe that's the John Roth translation. But didn't you think I'd be in my father's house? He was focused on his father at age 12, not on himself. He was cognizant of his father's will all times and always living in step with the spirit. He was always in that Trinitarian community himself, giving glory to the father, focused on the spirit coming into the lives of people, all but one place at one time in one moment. And that was on the cross. And there, that lifeline of Father and Spirit in that divine community that he had from eternity, all of a sudden it's cut off and he's left alone. If you want to know what isolation does to a person, just look at the cross. It kills. That's why Miroslav Volf states in uh, his book on the Trinity, he says, when God sets out to embrace the enemy, that is humanity, us, the result is the cross. 
The cross is the giving up of God's self in order to give up, not give up on humanity. It is a consequence of God's desire to break the power of human enmity without violence and receive human beings into divine communion. We want to just knock heads and try to get things straightened out in this world. And God says, no, I'm not going to lose you in the process. I'm not going to destroy humanity to know. I am going to let humanity destroy me so that they can be saved. So he puts sin to death without killing us all off and destroying all of creation. And that is his sacrificial love, his mercy and grace. God loves his people so much that he does that to bring us into that kind of fellowship. Now, I get it. God loves the church. Some people, not so much. You know, we look at the church and we see all of its messiness. We look at it and see all of its weaknesses and foibles. And, you know, and, um, you know, like I said, you've got a sinful human being here preaching and, and proclaiming to a bunch of other sinful human beings. And it's a messy place. It's always going to be that way. Christians are not saved by your level of maturity. You are saved by God's grace. Thank you, Jesus. We have a long way to go, and yet what we find is that God loves even this mess. If you want to grow up, you can't just kind of plug in and plug out a church for an hour here and there. Church is not that. We may gather to hear God speak here and there, but we are the church 24 7, 365. He wants us to be included in the whole community and how you respond to people, how you love people, how you serve people, how you're praying for people during the week, how we are serving together, we are growing together. Um, you know, Jesus didn't just drop in on this world for 30 ish years. I know this seems kind of maybe mind-blowing to you. But when he came and became a human being in Bethlehem, when he was incarnate by the Holy Spirit, when he was born into this world, he lived as a human being and as God fully and committed to staying human. I don't know if you really... When he rose from the dead, he bodily rose from the dead. His body is glorified, but he did not slough off his body, leave it discarded by the side as he gets into heaven and gets back to the way things were. He has changed himself for the rest of eternity to be in complete human fellowship with us. He doesn't just drop on by here and there. And neither are we to, quote, drop in on church, but to be the church. Thank God we've got members here. I've seen it time and again over this last year. You have been faithful even when it's been tough and it hasn't been rewarding. You have given, you have loved, you have cared, you have served, you've been praying for each other, you've rejoiced when people rejoice, and we have been weeping when people are weeping, especially with the death of two, three loved ones in our community just in the past couple months. I need you. I can't become mature without you all, and you can't become mature without me either. We're in this together. Fathom God's gifts. This chapter 4 
is really about looking around and seeing the gifts that God has given us in each other and how the life of the Trinity is being worked out within us. Yes, the life of the Trinity, the goal is maturity, and that's the reason we have community. Let's pray. Lord God, we are humbled, amazed, shocked, thrilled, astounded that you have loved us so much. You not only created us to be in your image, you have now brought us and redeemed us through your cross, Lord Jesus, to be into the very life that you have experienced from eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are to display that in this world. You know our fellowship, Lord. You know both our present circumstances, where we've come from, and also our future. We place all that into your care, and we don't look at the resources that we have, but we look at your amazing plans and promises and the life that you've given us, and we're going to live by those promises, Lord God. So as we move forward, Lord, we pray that you would be with us and show us the depth of your love that's within this fellowship, the height of your wisdom, <laughs> the broadness of your ministry, uh, the width of your mercy for each one of us and for all who would come and be a part of Thrive. And beyond Thrive, Lord, we're part of one large, giant the biggest organization on this planet, your church, your people, with the life of the Trinity through it. So we pray, Lord, today for those who are experiencing persecution. Whatever country, whatever place, Lord, that you would visit them with your spirit, that you would place on our hearts how we can serve them and help them and be there in whatever way we can for them. But we pray for them today, Lord, that you'd show them your freedom, your love, your mercy, your grace. We lift up to you, Lord, today as well. Um, those who are still hurting in this congregation, Lord, you know the recent uh, passing of Lloyd this week. He is now united with you, Lord, and that is so good. And Helen as well is there, and we thank you for that. We continue to raise up Jeff Blankenship and the Blankenship family with Andy's passing. And, Lord, we know how grief does not, quote, go away. Um, it might change and transform, but we grieve with the hope that you give us. So keep working through our fellowship, Lord, that we have a deep love for one another, that we encourage each other in the midst of the struggles that we face. So we thank you for these gifts, Helen, Lloyd, Andy, that you've given us for a long time. May they continue to be lived out in this fellowship. Lord, we lift up to you those who need your healing touch in this congregation and in those who are connected by our concerns. So we look, lift up to you, Evelyn, this day and pray that you continue to bring your healing to her after her surgery. We lift up to you, Chris, as she continues to try to figure out what's going on in, uh, in terms of her medical conditions, Lord, that you would strengthen her and give her hope, that you would be with Rachel um, Rebecca's da uh, daughter-in-law, and Kai, her grandson. We pray, Lord God, that they in California would have your healing touch upon them today. Lord God, uh, we lift up to you as well um, our community 
As we are moving forward, Lord, with more vaccinations in the United States, we pray, Lord, that you still give us patience and wisdom in the next steps toward um, a more um, post-COVID life, Lord. That you would keep teaching us lessons, Lord, through this. That we don't just get beyond, but we have grown from our last year's experiences. Lord God, um, we pray that uh, as we approach the season of Easter itself and the resurrection and we celebrate in just a few weeks that event, Lord, that you would use it for your glory, that more people would come to understand the, <laughs> the need for what you did, Lord Jesus, through your cross and resurrection, that we would be able to display that here too. Bless us now, Lord, as we are going to receive um, the very life that you give us, that you welcome us into it through this gift of the Lord's Supper. And be with us as well, Lord God, at, um, as we move forward in this week, that we're not just the church today, but we are the church in ministry throughout the week. We are your hands and your feet. All this we lift up to you, Lord Jesus, because of your great mercy in your name. Amen.